Ovarian torsion refers to the complete or partial rotation of the ovary on its ligamentous supports. This often results in partial or complete obstruction of its blood supply. It's one of the most common gynecological surgical emergencies and can affect females of all ages. So in this session, we're going to cover one of the American Board of OBGYN Maintenance of Certification articles under the heading Gynecology. This has to do specifically with clinical and ultrasound characteristics of adnexal torsion. The article was originally published in 2020. So y'all ready? Let's get our MOC article review going now. Whether you're a medical student, nursing student, resident, nurse practitioner, or anybody else in women's health care, we're here for you. This is Clinical Pearls. Adnexal torsion is one of the most common causes of acute pelvic pain in non-pregnant women. This is preceded by corpus luteum rupture with hemorrhage and followed by things like pelvic inflammatory disease or a malpositioned intrauterine device or degenerating fibroid in terms of frequency of occurrence. It's most common in women of reproductive age but can actually occur in children as well and it also is possible in postmenopausal women although that's much more rare. As an aside, ovarian or adnexal torsion has even been reported in neonates with an adnexal mass, and usually those are some kind of congenital malignancy, but obviously those cases are pretty rare. Remember that with this clinical presentation, most of these patients present with acute pain that can come and go as the adnexa can twist and untwist periodically. As we mentioned just a while ago, the condition is caused by a twisting of the adnexa along its ligamentous vascular structures. The severity of the vascular impairment is variable depending on the number of twists and the tightness at the neck of the torsion, which can cause either partial or complete vascular obstruction. In some cases, only the ovary is twisted, but in other cases, both the ovary and the fallopian tube are involved. Torsion involving only the fallopian tube has also been described. The article that we're reviewing has an important clinical pearl. Remember that an important risk factor for adnexal torsion is previous adnexal torsion. Some studies have reported that up to 11 to 19% of patients with adnexal torsion had previous adnexal torsion. Now, patients who have had torsion of a normal adnexa actually have a higher risk of recurrent torsion than do patients who have torsion within that nexal cyst. Now think about that. That's odd. You would think, how would a normal adnexa twist and tort? Well, that's exactly the issue. If it can tort with a normal adnexa, that obviously increases the chance that it can happen again. Adnexal masses that twist are usually benign, with dermoid cyst and serous cyst adenoma being the most commonly found pathologies. All right, so here's some important things to remember if you're ever asked on the wards. If somebody asks you, what's the most common finding with an ovarian torsion in a pregnant woman? The answer is an enlarged corpus luteum cyst. That's the most common pathology with an adnexal torsion in pregnancy. Adnexal torsion occurs in about 0.8 to 0.13% of women with ovarian hyperstimulation caused by treatments for infertility. So that's not a very high number. 
There's also a right-sided predominance of adnexal torsion, and various explanations have been proposed, like the right IP tends to be a little bit longer, and the other issue is that there could be left room to torch on the left because of the presence of the sigmoid colon, and that may decrease the risk of torsion. So remember, medicine has a sidedness to it. So torsion of the adnexa seems to happen much more likely on the right than on the left. Here's another clinical parole that's not in this article, but it's good to remember. Remember, medicine does have sidedness to it. And ovarian vein thrombosis, just like ovarian torsion, also is most likely to happen on the right side. Ovarian vein thrombosis actually occurs between 70 to 90% of the time on the patient's right side. Same thing like pyelonephritis in pregnancy. Remember that pyelonephritis in pregnancy tends to happen more on the right because of dextral rotation of the uterus, especially as it grows out of the pelvis, with potential compression of the ureter and the pelvic brim on the right side. So medicine, remember, has sidedness. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lymphatic and venous flows are compromised first because the walls of the lymphatic vessels and veins are thinner and more compressible than those of the arteries. This, of course, causes vascular congestion and ovarian or adnexal edema. Remember, the arteries are still pumping and still getting blood flow to the affected organ, but the blood flow can't come out. So what you get is this vascular congestion, at least initially. Now, if the torsion remains untreated, the edema then compromises the arterial flow, and this causes arterial stasis and potentially thrombosis, and that leads to hemorrhagic infarction and necrosis of the ovarian parenchyma. Now, the management of adnexal torsion has really changed throughout the years because when I trained, the idea was, listen, if that thing is necrotic, you got to take it out because you don't want to risk releasing tissue plasminogen and tissue modulation factors out from that necrotic area into the circulation because that could trigger DIC. But that actually is not true. Untwisting of the twisted organ is recommended as the standard surgical treatment for patients with adnexal torsion unless they're in menopause where the adnexa is just not functional anyway. Now remember, the gold standard is to untwist the twisted organ and do a cystectomy or remove the affected mass, but leave ovarian tissue behind if possible, especially if the patient is an adolescent or young adult. Again, recent studies support conservative management with untwisting in premenopausal patients, even if there's signs of organ necrosis. Ovarian function after untwisting has been documented in between 93 to 100% of cases that have even shown necrotic tissue at macroscopic assessment. In patients with a twisted ovarian mass or a twisted paraovarian cyst, the appropriate treatment, according to the article, should be surgical excision of the mast and simple untwisting of the residual ovarian parenchyma. 
Now, in cases of a twisted tube with no lesions, conservative management in premenopausal patients is preferred over surgical removal of the tube, whereas in cases of a twisted hydrosalpinx, then removal of the organ, of course, is recommended because there's already pathology at work. In reproductive age patients where untwisting occurs and the mass may have been removed like a cystectomy, then remember that an ultrasound examination should be performed in four to six weeks after the untwisting procedure to document the preservation of ovarian parenchyma. And you can also assess the ovarian size and check for vascularization by Doppler techniques. I know I've already said it, but I have to say it again because it's an important clinical pearl and an important distinction. Even though in patients of reproductive age, the surgical management of adnexal torsion includes untwisting of the organ and removal of the mass if present. That's not the case when it happens in postmenopausal women. Now remember, why would you want to leave a twisted ovarian mass in a postmenopausal woman in any way? So in postmenopausal women, unilateral sapingoophorectomy is justified due to the higher risk of malignancy and for prevention of recurrence. Well, then the question is, what do you do with the other side, even if she's postmenopausal and that looks normal? Well, the decision regarding bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy in these patients should be made only after discussing the potential risk and benefits with the patient, again, if she's in the postmenopausal period. All right, everyone, we've covered a lot of information already, and we haven't even gotten to the main findings and conclusions of this article. But we're going to have to leave that for part two. Yep, that's a little cliffhanger for you. So as always, thank you for being part of our podcast family. And we're going to stop here as part one, and we'll come back later to wrap up this MOC article summary in part two. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.